All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning. And welcome to the well here at STSA. My name is Father Anthony. I'm glad you're joining us here today. We're in part two of a series called Highlight Real, where as you could tell a little bit by the intro video, what we are doing is talking about the differences between highlight reels and what is actually real. And what we're talking about here, we opened up last week, was part one. If you missed it, you can always go online, stsa.church, and get caught up. We're talking about a disorder that every one of us struggles with, okay? And it's something that you may have heard about online or in the news, wherever it is. It's called OCD. You've heard of OCD, right? OCD stands for Obsessive Comparison Disorder, right? Obsessive Comparison Disorder. And it's something that you don't need a diagnosis. Trust me, if you live in the 21st century, you are at risk of OCD. Because what OCD is, Obsessive comparison, Diso comparison Disorder, is when you measure your stature, not by looking in the mirror, but by looking out the window. You value yourself and you measure yourself against everybody else. So it's not about am I smart, but am I smarter? It's not about am I, do I have a big house, but is it bigger? It's not about are my hips thin, but are they thinner than so-and-so? And you measure your life by how everyone else lives their lives to see where you are. OCD manifests itself, as we talked about last week, when you are totally content one minute, totally content one minute. You're happy as a clam. You're living your life and everything's fine. And yet, then you get a little buzz from the phone and the phone tells you that someone posted something online. And that all of a sudden, that post has power over you. Because if that happens to be a post of all your friends out at dinner on a Friday night and you sitting at home and you didn't get the invite, all of a sudden, you don't feel as good. Or if that post is about someone else who got a promotion, a coworker who got a promotion, or an email about they got a promotion, and all of a sudden you didn't, even though you were totally content a minute ago, all of a sudden, maybe not as much. Or the best one is if you hear that so-and-so's kid got a scholarship, or so-and-so's kid made this team, or so-and-so's kid is the greatest kid ever in the whole wide world, then all of a sudden, you were totally content with your kid a minute ago, but now all of a sudden, not so much. That's obsessive comparison disorder. And that's why we said last week that there is no win in comparison. There is no win in comparison. There's no win because once you've started down this road, you can't win because there's always gonna be someone whose kid is smarter, whose house is bigger, whose job is better, whose boyfriend proposes faster. Like there's always gonna be someone who out there who has one more thing than you and you can never, ever, ever get caught up if you play this game. Where comparison begins, contentment ends. Where comparison begins, contentment ends. That's why I left you last week with this question. This was the question that we ended last week with, which is who or what am I going to choose to be my reference point to tell me I'm okay? We all have a reference point. We all have something in our lives that says, you're okay now. What's the measuring stick? Is it approval of a parent? They're the ones who tell me. Is it the amount of money in my bank account? Is it the size of my house? Is it a certain social status that I've achieved? Is it the number of likes on whatever post or the number of followers on my, so, on my Facebook? What is it that you have chosen to give that power? Because it's a tremendous power in your life, the reference point in your life. Now today, that's a recap of last week. Talking about OCD, obsessive comparison disorder. Today, we're going to talk about a subtype, a strain of the disease of OCD. Okay, because we're talking medical right here. So there's this disease called OCD, and there's a certain strain of it that we're all susceptible to. It's like a subtype of OCD, and it's another acronym. And maybe you've heard of it. It's called FOMO. You heard of this one, haven't you? 
It stands for, what does it stand for? It stands for fear of missing out. Here's how Oxford Dictionary, it actually has, a, has, an, in, has an entry for FOMO. It says, anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may currently be happening elsewhere, often aroused by posts seen on social media. Y'all have heard of a man named Ivan Pavlov, right? You've heard of Pavlov. Okay, he did a famous experiment way back in the day. Pavlov was a 20th century Russian psychologist. Okay, and he also, I just found this out, actually was a son of a Russian Orthodox priest as well. All right, he was a pastor's kid, so you take it as you want. He won the Nobel, P Nobel Prize in 1904 for his work on classical conditioning. Y'all have heard this before. What basically Pavlov, fi Pavlov figured out is that he was talking about dogs, but he was expanded it to, to all creatures. There's something called automatic conditioning, classical conditioning, where a certain response happens automatically, innately, based on a certain stimulus being presented. So for example, what he noticed is, is that when you have dogs in a room, and then all of a sudden you brought food in, as soon as they smelled the food, then all of a sudden they start to get excited by they wag their tail and they start to salivate. So as soon as they could smell the food, there was this automatic response. They smelled the food and the, 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 the tail would start wagging. It means they get excited, all right? And they get, they get ready to eat and all of a sudden they start salivating. And then he noticed something. That while he was doing this and while people were bringing food and he's noticing that the way they respond to the smell, he noticed one day that the same worker who would bring in the food came in one day without any food. And the same dogs responded in the exact same way. So the worker came in with no food, so there's no smell, but they saw the worker, and in their mind, there was a expectation that when the worker comes, there's gonna be food. And as soon as they saw the worker, start wagging on the tail and start salivating. So then all of a sudden, that led him to do his famous experiment, and that's the Bell experiment. Or what he did is he conditioned dogs. So what, he took what was an automatic conditioning and he said, can this be a learned experience? Can I train them to be conditioned in a certain way? They're kind of conditioned a certain way by God, meaning that they smell and they salivate. What if I can kind of condition them in a different way? So what he did is he would ring a bell and then they would bring in food and feed the dog. And then the next day they would ring a bell and bring in food and feed the dog. You see where this is going. Ring the bell, give the food. Ring the bell, give the food. Ring the bell, give the food. Every time the bell would ring, then all of a sudden, tail wag, start to salivate. Eventually, it got to the point where he would just ring the bell and bring in no food, and the response was exactly the same. Actually, the response was not the same. Because what do you think happened when the workers came in, bell rang, workers in, no food? What do you think the dogs did then? How do you think they responded? They were angry and they got belligerent and they would sometimes get feisty with the, the workers. Why? Because there was an expectation. There was a ding and then an expectation of a result. And when they didn't get the result, they got upset. Well, I would say, you won't find this anywhere, but this is my own personal opinion, that Ivan Pavlov could be considered the father of modern day social media. Even though he had no idea anything about social media, the same principles apply today. But instead of dogs and bells and food, it's humans and buzzes and things vibrating and messages and, and, and likes and posts and tweets and emails. And the same way, the same way that those dogs were conditioned over time that a certain stimulus led to a certain response, I'm telling you, we're the exact same way. 
There's a great book by a, a doctor named Dr. Larry Rosen. He wrote a book called Eye Disorder. Eye Disorder. And he says the following, quote straight from the book. 50% of teens and young adults, all right? And you can put whoever you want in young adults, all right? 50% of teens and young adults become moderately to highly anxious when they can't check their phones as often as they'd like. 50% of teens and young adults become moderately to highly anxious when they can't check their phones as often as they'd like. Now you say, that's not me. And I would challenge you. Take your phone, put it on the other side of the room, not now, but when you go home, take your phone, put it on the other side of the room and wait for it to ding and then do nothing for 15 minutes and see if your tail starts wagging, okay? And if there starts to be some salivating stuff. Because in the same way that those dogs had an expectation when the bell rang, I'm telling you, same thing happens to us. And we're gonna talk about that because that's FOMO for us. That's the fear of missing out. That's the something is going on somewhere in the world, okay? There's a, 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 a someone posted a picture that I need to see or someone is trying to reach to me and I need to know what they need to say, or there's a news story, or, or, or there's a comment on something that I posted. There's something newsworthy out there and I need to get it right now. And if I don't get it, I find myself getting jittery and I find myself getting nervous. I'm not saying that social media caused this. I'm saying social media amplified this. This is something, this fear of missing out. This is something that's innate inside all of us, but what fear of missing out, what social media did is it took this FOMO and it gave it actually, it made it possible to actually know everything that's going on at all times everywhere in the world. Before that, we say, you know, I wish I could know and I don't know what's going on and you didn't have any option, but now you really can know. Who's eating what at, at any moment of the day? Who's buying what? Who's out at dinner with who? Who feels hashtag blessed at any moment of the day? And you say, what's the big deal? Seems harmless, right? But let me tell you today why it's not harmless and why it's actually quite harmful because the inevitable next step, the inevitable next step of the FOMO, of the desire to know, the inevitable next step is comparison. The inevitable next step is comparison. And here's our key thought for today. Our key thought is this. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. Would you agree with that statement? The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. If you remember the last series we did just before this series, seems like eons ago, I know, it was just a month ago, we did a series called Handcrafted, which is all about how God made us a unique creation. And we are each masterpieces made uniquely by God. And now all of a sudden we're doing a series on comparison. The order there was set on purpose. It wasn't by accident. Because the fastest way to kill the beauty of something uniquely created is to compare it to something else because it was made uniquely and it was designed for a purpose and that purpose is different. So the way that you kill something is by comparison. Can I take two uniforms, custom designed uniforms and compare them with each other? Like for example, a football uniform and a tennis uniform. And can I compare them? And I'm there in the football and I'm on the football and I'm like, oh, you know, the tennis guys, they look nice and it's white and they show legs. So why can't we be more like that? And then the, the tennis guys are saying, oh, those are nice colors and they have the thing on their head. We can't, no, you can't compare them because each one is designed for a purpose. And if you compare them, you lose the beauty of each one. Okay, forget about sports. I get told that people tell me to use too much sports. How about something more general? How about power tools? Okay, 
power tools. <laughs> if, I take, if I take a customized handsaw, okay, that can make the cool little shapes in the wood versus a power chainsaw that can cut down a tree and I compare them, there's no comparison. But the beauty of the power saw or the custom handsaw, the beauty of each one is in its uniqueness. Like what makes the, 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 the handsaw beautiful is the fact that it's not power, but it's flexible. And what makes the power one so beautiful is that it has power to cut down a tree, even though it's not flexible. So what, the, what makes us beautiful cannot be compared. And the fastest way to ruin something special is to compare to something else. I believe the same is true about us. God created you as a masterpiece. Me as a masterpiece, we're all unique. You may not have as many kids as you want. Your kids may not be as behaved as you want. They may be in the lowest reading group out there and that may drive you crazy. And they may not be as athletic, athletic as the other kids, neighbor's kids, but they're your kids and God designed them for you. And if the fastest way to kill them is to compare them. Your husband may not be the neatest guy around the house. He may not have the best job in the neighborhood. He may not be able to remember a single date in your life, but he remembers everything about the Redskins in their history. But he's your husband. I had a wife tell me that one time. He's a slob, but he's my slob. And I like that. That God gave him to me and God knew that I needed him. And yet he may not be as perfect as I wanted him to be. He may not be like somebody else, but he's my husband. Maybe your problem is not comparing your kids, your spouse. Maybe the problem is you. Maybe the problem is you don't like yourself. Maybe the problem is you look at yourself and say, hey, my life is not where it should be. My life is further behind than all my friends' life. I don't like the way my, I don't like my parents. I, I don't like my body, okay? I don't like my gifts. I wish I had gifts like that. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. And there's no comparison for you. Because what we looked at in that last series, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, that we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. You and me, custom designed by God. Not like anything else. Not factory style. Not assembly line. Not cookie cutter. You are made unique. And the fastest way to kill the gifts that God has put inside you and the talents and the uniqueness is to compare it to somebody else. What we want to get to is the place where we can look around and we can see others. And we can see, hey, that person's house is bigger than mine, but I'm okay with the house that God gave me. Hey, that kid, that people's kids learn how to tie their shoes. Mine's still Velcro. Okay, that's okay. I was still on Velcro till third grade. That's okay. Okay, we'll be okay. That we look at it and say, that person's job, that person's car, that person's technology, that person's promotion, that person got engaged and I'm sitting there clapping for them, but inside I'm hurting. The point we want to get to is that we can sincerely rejoice with those who rejoice and not feel inadequate and not feel like I'm, I'm behind in any way. Because God made me unique and God has the best in store for me. And the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. So we will not do that. We're gonna to look today at a passage of scripture from Philippians chapter four. And we're gonna to try to figure out how to do this practically. Now, before I, I show you the passage, I'm telling you right off the bat, we're gonna see a verse that is probably one of the most well-known verses in all the New Testament. And when I say it is the most well-known, it is well-known. You see it all the time, all the places people quote don't know nothing from the Bible. And they can say this verse, and I'm telling you, 99% of the time when people say it, they're misquoting it and abusing it. 
One of the most abused verses of all time. You know this verse? Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see it at football games and people run through it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which basically means we can beat these guys. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Means, you know what? Maybe there's hope that I grow my hair back. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I need to lose 20 pounds by the wedding. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We take this verse and we take it out of context and we think that it basically means anything I want, God will give to me because I really, really want it. Well, I'm here to tell you, you cannot do anything that you want and God will not give you anything you want. You will never fly. I will never dunk a basketball. My wife will never be invited to join the music team. These are facts of life, people. Sorry to say it, sweetheart, but these are facts. No matter how much you pray, no matter how much you want it, you cannot do anything that you want. You cannot do anything you want. And it's silly to even think about it in, in that term. Let's look at the context. Because if you want to know the power of Philippians 4.13, you must understand the context in which it was written. Let's go back a few verses. Philippians chapter 4. Let's start from verse 10. St. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Sorry, let's pause right here. The epistle of Philippians is a letter St. Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. The reason he's writing this letter is like a thank you letter. All right, and there's some, 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 some Christian stuff in there, but the, the main point is it's a thank you letter because when he was in a hard time, this church of Philippi sent help to him. And he's saying, I really appreciate that. And I know you would have helped even more if you could have. Financial help, you know, they prayed for him. They sent, you know, uh, supplies, whatever it was. So he's thanking them for what they sent him in his time of need. Verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Can we say that together? For I have, start there, all together. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Can we say it one more time? For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. You know why I wanted you to say those words? Because I'll bet you never said that. I'll bet you never said that. I bet you never said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And St. Paul, we're going to circle this word learned, okay? Because what we're going to see is it's not an innate, it's a learned behavior. Back to Pavlov, okay? It's a learned thing. So we're going to see how practically later. But St. Paul is saying right here, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Okay, someone who's writing those words, where's he writing them from? The beach, hammock, sipping on the tea with the pinky up, watching TV. Where's St. Paul writing the epistle of the Philippians? Where's he writing it from? A jail cell as he's awaiting death sentence. And what did he do to get thrown in jail? Love God. That was his crime. He loved God too much and he obeyed God too much so he got thrown in jail. If St. Paul had Instagram, you know what he'd post? He'd post this. If there was Instagram back in the day, that's what St. Paul would have posted. And that's what he would have sent along with this epistle. St. Paul didn't do anything wrong in his life. All St. Paul did was obey God, and he got thrown in jail. Let's go along with this theme, this idea of, let's say there was Instagram back in the day. And let's say St. Paul, here he is posting his pic, hashtag blessed from the prison. And then he looks around at the other apostles and the other disciples. And what are they posting? So for example, you had Thomas. Thomas got to travel to India. While St. Paul's dying in a prison, Saint, or Thomas went over to India, and he probably, hashtag wanderlust, is probably what he wrote. You got St. Mark, who got to go to Egypt, first class trip to Egypt, and he probably posted a picture of him with the pyramids or the Sphinx thing, you know, selfie, hashtag walk like an Egyptian is probably what he put. 
Even John, the beloved, John, who was exiled, exiled to die. Where did John get exiled to? An island in the Mediterranean where many people go on honeymoons. So I think John would have posted something, said hashtag beach life, hashtag room with a view, hashtag blessed, not stressed. <laughs> and here's St. Paul in a prison. Verse 12. I've learned to be content is what he said. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I have learned. There's that key word learned again. I've learned both to be full and be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And now in the context of that, he says the golden verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Has nothing to do with the football game. Has nothing to do with lose 10 pounds by the wedding. Has nothing to do with grow your hair back. St. Paul says, I have the greatest power in the world. You know why? Because I'm not looking left or right. I'm not comparing to that guy or to that guy. I have learned how to be rich, how to be poor, how to be hungry, how to be full. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I am the man. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because if you give me a lot of money or you take it away, you can't hurt me on the inside. If you give me riches or you take them, it doesn't matter. Abound, suffer. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's why I'm invincible. Can you think just for a moment, just, I know in a far, far, far away land, imagine for a moment that you actually could reach the point where you could say like St. Paul, that I'm content no matter what happens, that nothing could take away my contentness. Can you just like feel the freedom that that would bring, the relief? Truly, if that was the case, you would say, yes, I can do anything. There's nothing that can stop me because I can be content in any situation. St. Paul said it slightly different way in Hebrews chapter 12. Okay, same guy writing, but different context. But this is what he says here, Hebrews chapter 12. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. A couple of years ago, okay, when I was turning 40, I decided that I was gonna plan out my midlife crisis. Most people have it sneak up on them, like to be ahead of the game. So I planned my midlife crisis. And what I said is, I'm gonna run a half marathon. So I did the half marathon thing, but in order to make sure every time I've ever had any athletic goal, usually leads to an injury. Okay, so that's, so I decided this one, I'm gonna be one step ahead. And I got a running coach to help me to train because it's a lot of stress on the feet and knees and I had stress fractures and stuff and I'm just an old guy. So I said, let me help someone to help me out to get me, you know, in a good form. You know the one thing that the running coach worked with me more than anything else? I thought he was going to work with me on my arms and on my hips and loosen me up and things like that. He didn't work with anything. You know what he worked with me more than anything else? My eyes. Because I had a tendency when I run to do two things. One, to look down, which is bad, and two, to look around, because I'm curious. So even if I'm running by myself, like I notice, you know, there's a car over there. Eh, you know, it looks like my wife's car, whatever. So I, I notice things. There's a little birdie. Like I notice things. And he told me, the best thing that you need to do, the number one thing you need to do is learn how to look straight ahead because where your eyes are, that's where your body goes. You're slowing yourself down by looking here and you're, you're inefficient by looking here because you're drifting over, right? So like if I'm running a race like this, you know, I'm a, you know what I'm saying? Like it's not a good way to run a race. St. Paul is saying the same principle here. And what St. Paul is saying, the fastest way to lose the race of life, the fastest way to lose the race of life is to look around. St. Paul is saying, stay in your lane, man. Stay in your lane. And just look at the rice in front of you. And don't worry about what lane number four is doing. You can't run a race like this. 
Don't worry about lane six. You stay in your lane. You look at the race God put in front of you. You keep your eyes on Jesus and you don't compare to nobody else because you know what? Here's what I discovered in life. Do you wanna know something? Nobody can beat you at being you. Nobody can beat you at being you. You wanna win the race? Be you, stay in your lane. Don't try to run someone else's lane. You try to run their lane, they're better than you at their lane and you will always find yourself short. Run your lane, eyes on Jesus, run straight ahead. Don't worry about the side, don't look down, don't look to the side. You look straight at Jesus and you run the race that is set in front of you. But I want a bigger house, like so-and-so, you run your race. But I want smaller hips, like so-and-so, you run your race but I want my kids to be in the highest reading group. Man, you run your race. You run your race and you know that if you stick to your lane, nobody can beat you. Practically, how to get there. How do I get to the point where I'm not looking around? Because it's hard. Like I said, I'm talking about with the running thing, like it took me several weeks to figure this thing out because it's, it's our nature to do like this. I'm gonna give you three very simple, very practical takeaways. Three very simple, very practical. But the bottom line, I need to look straight because the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. How do I look straight? I'm gonna give you three practical things that you can do today. Practical things, because as St. Paul said, this is a learned process. This is a learned behavior. I have learned. It's not that I wish I was content like him. I wish content like her. No, no, nobody's content. It's a learned behavior. We have to train ourselves. And I'm gonna give you three exercises that you can do. Number one, choose to be grateful. Number one, choose to be grateful. You've heard before the importance of being grateful and thankful. You've heard that before, but I, just for my sake, just humor me for the next five minutes, four minutes. Just listen to me as if you've never heard that before. Just trust me on this one. This is a game changer. This should not be in one ear and out the other. Oh yeah, I'm a thankful person. No, no, no. Don't just say you're a thankful person. Be intentional, be proactive about being grateful on a day-to-day -day basis. Our church, the Orthodox Church, has taught us the importance of thankfulness because in every prayer service there is, if it's a wedding, if it's a funeral, if it's a house blessing, if it's a baptism, doesn't matter what it is. Anytime, even before we say hello, we say a prayer of thanksgiving. Every service begins with a prayer of thanksgiving because in every circumstance, there's a reason to thank God. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I promise you on this one. The best advice that you can take, watch what I'm gonna say right now. The best advice you can take for your career is learn to be thankful. The best advice you can take for your marriage is learn to be thankful. The best advice you can take for your mental health is learn to be thankful. I promise you that in every one of those areas, you will see success when you become more grateful. St. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. How can I say you'll be more successful in every aspect of your life? It's very, very simple. There are studies that show that the one who is more grateful will have lower stress, will have better fitness, better ability to sleep at night. The one who learns how to be thankful and is proactive in being thankful will have more success because he'll be better at relationships because nobody likes to be around a negative person. But when you are positive, a thankful, a grateful person, people will wanna be around you and that's how you find success in life. So here's my challenge to you with this one. Everyone to be practical. Every day, learn how to give thanks and be grateful for three things. And I'm gonna challenge you, if you really wanna get the most out of this, get yourself a little journal, a thankfulness journal. Or I know some people have a bucket 
or a jar of some sort, where every day they write down three things that they're thankful for and they put it in that jar. You know why I like that? Or the journal, why I like it written? Because then when you're down on your luck, and then when you're feeling kind of like nothing's going right for me, you stick your hand in that jar and you open it up and you read all the good things that God has done for you. I promise you, this one habit will transform your life more than any other habit. I promise you. And if you don't believe me, just try it and come back and tell me that I'm wrong. But just a hint, in order to be more grateful, it's gonna take a little bit of work. And there might be times where you're kind of like, okay, what am I grateful for today and nothing. You might have to think about it a little bit. And let me challenge you to look not at your, at, your, at your timeline on Facebook to find your thankfulness and not to look at what other people are posting to figure out what you're thankful for. Let me encourage you to close all those doors and say, you know what? Relationships, it's not where I want it to be. But God gave me great parents and God gave me great friends. And yeah, I kind of wish I had another relationship. But you know what? I can't deny the fact that God has given me this good. And say, you know what? There's, I, I wish that my kids were more well-behaved. We all wish that, okay? There's a parent who says, no, my kids, no, everyone wants their kids more well-behaved. But you know what? I gotta thank God. They love God. They know right and wrong. They're not doing bad stuff like on the TV. Like I got good kids. They're decent kids. And yeah, they're not perfect, but I gotta be thankful for what God has given me. Like we gotta be fair, all right? So first step is choose to be grateful. Now the second step is where I might get myself in a little bit of trouble here, but I have to believe very passionately about this. And I'm gonna say cut social media. And I was nice enough to put back, okay? So I'll give you a cut back. And I know I'm at risk of being labeled as the old fuddy-duddy, like the guy from, you know, still, like they will tell me, still, Father Anthony, you love the year 1996, so you just kind of froze life in 1996. Like I get that, okay? I'm at risk of that. But just trust me on this one. I believe that you will see if you try. Everything that I'm saying right here, I'm not asking you for money. I'm telling you, try it for two weeks. And if you don't like it, okay, fine. But I'm telling you, Two weeks, I tell this people all the time and no one has ever come back and told me that it wasn't beneficial. Try for two weeks to cut social media out of your life and watch what it'll do, watch what it'll do. We don't realize the impact that it has on us until we cut it out. Cut it for two weeks. Now you say I can't cut completely, okay, at least cut back significantly. Because you don't realize the impact that it's having. You will never realize it until you cut it out of your diet and then see. If anyone's looking for a good book recommendation, there's a great book by a guy named Cal Newport who went to Georgetown here, professor at Georgetown. He wrote a book called Deep Work. Anyone read it? Okay, the basic premise of the book, the book is fantastic. Okay, the book basically argues that, so he talks about many things, but he has a section on social media, that the cost of social media, which we think is harmless, actually has a much greater cost to us than we realize and that we're aware of. And his, his thinking, which I agree 100%, is that like they'll look back generations from now and realize the impact that we were kind of like smoking when smoking came out like back in the 50s or 60s everyone was smoking and never thought it was, and now we look back and we're like oh my goodness how could they just let kids smoke and how could you know anyone just walk around like didn't they know social media is going to kind of be like that one day where they realize that just kind of letting it loose like that had impact on us and what he argues and he says it very compellingly is that the cost to our attention span and our ability to focus is greater than we realize and we today have made a sacrifice, we made a bad trade. We work long hours at low intensity and low focus to produce an output. What his whole point is, is if we could increase the intensity and focus, 
we can work fewer hours and produce better results. And I'm a firm believer of this. I'm a firm believer that you can work 10 hours of distracted because it, it, now this is proven, I'll tell you what's proven for, without a shadow of a doubt, that constantly fragmenting your attention, checking your email over here and Facebook over there and Twitter over there and liking this and the phone and the text, that has an impact on your brain and that produces a much lower quality output. And constantly putting your brain in that kind of multitasking and shifting is impacting you. So his whole argument is that there's an impact, there's a cost to the social media and the constantly fragmenting your attention that when we get rid of it, you'll find your ability to focus. And I say focus at work, focus in prayer, focus in relationships, your ability to focus will go up and you will see it yourself. He gave a TED talk, in case you don't wanna read the book, he gave a TED talk, a 13 minute TED talk, titled Quit Social Media. And I highly encourage you to check it out. That TED talk has 4.6 million views. And in that TED talk, he starts off by saying, I'm the unicorn in the room. Because he says the following, he says, I'm a millennial, he's a young guy, okay? He's, I think he's 33 or 34. I'm a millennial computer scientist, published author on a TED stage, and I've never had a social media account in my life. And in that talk, he compares social media to a slot machine. Why slot machine? First of all, he makes the argument that social media is more entertainment than it is productivity. Everyone agrees with that, okay? It's more entertainment, and that's fine. But it's a dangerous entertainment because a slot machine invites you to put a quarter in and then you get that and that that high and then you put that quarter in and then it's that what's going to come out what's going to come out social media is kind of the same way something dings and all of a sudden oh what's it going to be a like a retweet a, 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 a someone breakfast picture <laughs> like what's it going to be and he talks about how and again this is this is common knowledge you know this because you're smart people that the big social media companies, the big ones, do you know that people that they recruit on a regular basis are something called attention engineers? You know this, you're smart people, you're well-read. They hire attention engineers from Las Vegas casinos. And the whole point of a Las Vegas casino that they're stealing away their concepts is how to make their product as addictive as possible because that's how they maximize their profits. You know this. You know that their goal is not to show you a cute video on the YouTube. Their goal is not just that you watch a, sh a short little clip of something. Their goal is that you're addicted, that you go next video, next video, refresh, refresh, that you got notifications, everything is buzzing in the house. That's their goal, you know that. And you know that they use the same techniques that they use in casinos. And I would argue the result is more costly. So here's my challenge for you. The old guy, the fuddy-duddy, the guy from the Stone Ages, I got you. Two weeks, just two weeks. Two weeks is nothing. If you can't cut social media for two weeks, you got a problem. But two weeks is all I'm saying. And I'm saying for two weeks, go without it. At least at a minimum, cut significantly. Set specific times. I'm gonna check in the morning at this time. I'm gonna check in the afternoon at this time. I'm gonna check in the evening. Don't let it be the last thing that you do before you go to bed. Don't let it be the first thing when you wake up. Don't. Don't, when you're sitting there having dinner with your family and something buzzes, rush to go see it. Whatever it is, it'll wait. I'm a priest. I actually do deal with life and death sometimes, and I'm the one who's saying it. It's never life and death. It's never life and death. Let the phone buzz. Try me for two weeks. So the first thing we're gonna do, we're gonna choose to be grateful. Second thing we're gonna do is we're gonna cut back the social media, and if we're really good and we really want to get rid of this comparison, we're gonna cut it all together. 
And then the third, which seems less practical, but I'll have to make it very practical for you in a second, is center your life on Jesus. Center your life on Jesus. What does that mean to center your life on Jesus? Is that just a spiritual principle? No, I want to make it very practical. I want to go back to the question I asked you in the beginning. Who or what will be the reference point of your life to let you know that you're okay? Who or what will be the mirror that you look in to say, you know what? This is who determines if I'm okay or not okay. And I'll challenge you that Jesus is the only answer that will satisfy you. And do you know why I'm concerned about you having an answer other than Jesus? Because if your answer to who or what says that I'm okay is anything other than Jesus, my fear is not, listen carefully, my fear is not, what if you don't attain that standard? What if you don't attain the big house? What if your kid's never in the smartest reading group? What if, what if you never get that promotion? What if you ne- I'm not worried if you don't get it. I'm actually most worried if you do, because that's the scariest place to be. And to help me tell this story, I'm gonna ask for help from a lady called Asina O'Neill. Anyone ever heard of this lady? Nobody ever heard of her. I didn't hear about it until recently, but apparently she's a very famous person. Asina O'Neill, it was a, this is back in uh, 2016, a 19-year-old Australian internet sensation. You'll Google her when you go home. And she made headlines two or three years ago because at the peak of her popularity, she did something crazy. Who is Asina O'Neill? 19 years old, had more than a half million followers on Instagram. And she, as you can see from the picture, remember how last week we talked about the Urs? Okay, living in the land of Urs, she had all the Urs. She was, she's prettier, she's blonder, she's thinner, like her smile is perfecter. Okay, like she has more money than you, her house is bigger, she has more followers. Like she was living what all of us would say is the dream. She got to the point of popularity. She was so popular on the internet that companies would send her dresses or skirts or whatever, maybe a piece of clothes, and all she would have to do is put it on and take a picture, and they'd pay her $2,000 for that picture to post online because she had such a big following that they, she's basically doing advertising for them. Ladies, this is a dream come true, right? Like, what more could you ask for? You're getting free stuff to be very famous online, and you're 19, you don't need to go to college. You're making 2,000 bucks for free clothes? In the middle of living the dream, Asina O'Neill one night decided enough, and she quit social media. She canceled all her stuff. And I'm not going to tell you why. I'm going to let her tell her own story. We're going to watch a little video clip right here from ABC News a couple years ago, and they tell the story of Asina. We get a rare glimpse behind the scenes of a beautiful life. The social media darling coming clean about the painful toll it takes just to try to keep up appearances. What really goes into those envy-inducing photos, and why are some now questioning her motives? I quit social media for my 12-year-old self. Asina O'Neill's 19-year-old self seemed picture-perfect on Instagram. More than a half million followers, a glamorous, cool teenager, seemingly living the dream, making a career off social media. But two days ago, this shocking confession on YouTube. I was miserable. I had it all. And I was miserable because when you let yourself be defined by numbers, you let yourself be defined by something that is not pure, that is not real, and that is not love. She said it would be her last YouTube post and that she'd shut it all down. Taking myself off social media is a wake-up call to anyone and everyone who follows me. She deleted most of the thousands of photos on her wildly popular Instagram account. And the few she left up? she changed their captions to reveal what she says really was going on, not real life. 
I didn't pay for the dress, took countless photos trying to look hot for Instagram. And she writes, not real life, took over a hundred in similar poses trying to make my stomach look good. And there is nothing zen about trying to look zen, taking a photo of you trying to be zen and proving you're zen on Instagram. Asina pulling the curtain back on what she says is the painful cost of trying to look flawless online. Everything I did was for views, for likes, for followers. But her takedown of social media was catapulting her star even higher, an outpouring of support online from all over the world, including celebrities like actress Sophia Bush, who posted, My girlfriends and I spent the better part of yesterday discussing Asina O'Neill's awesome serving of social truth. Check this out. The support prompting her to make one more video post. I just feel so grateful that, that this is being spread, that this is actually getting out there. Asina told us via Skype from her native Australia that she never intended to create a big fuss. What I'm saying isn't revolutionary, but I just think it's a discussion worth having with how much value we put into just putting photos of ourselves online. And I think, you know, as I said, I spent five years wishing to be this perfect person online and I spent three years every day working really hard at it. And I think if people understood just the amount of effort and time that goes into perfecting your life like that and being that consistent, then I think that wouldn't be so aspirational. I think, um, I think the reality is quite, is quite sad. You see how that goes? Remember we called this series Highlight Real? Okay, so the difference between people's highlights versus what's real. And just as a side note, okay, just I, I couldn't leave this point, okay, and then I'll wrap up right here. Parents especially, I'll tell you another article that I read online, from CNN, this is the headline. Instagram is the worst app for young people's mental health. Parents especially, be careful. Because it says anxiety, depression, self-identity issues, body image issues, all these, Instagram inflates. Now, the, and I, what I'm not saying, parents, is go home and tell your kids to get off it, okay? What I'm telling you is we model it. We model what it is we want them to do. Bottom line is this, real versus real. Highlight real versus real. Later on in the interview, she says that for one of those pictures, there was that one where she was in the bikini in the stomach. She said that she didn't eat for 36 hours to try to get her stomach to look flat. Highlight real versus what is real. But that's why I said a minute ago, I'm not worried. If you live for anything other than Jesus, I'm not worried about you not attaining it, I'm actually worried about if you do, because that's the most miserable place to be. But here's our mirror. Our mirror is Christ. We want to look eyes on Jesus, race he put in front of me, and I want to make a declaration. I'm gonna choose to be grateful, I'm gonna cut the social media. Most important, I'm gonna make a decision. I'm gonna make a decision today and I'm gonna remind myself of the decision that every single day of the rest of my life, eyes on Jesus. He's the mirror. He's the mark. Who or what will be the reference point in my life that says that I'm okay? My bank account? Approval of my friends? How popular I am? My house? My car? How cool my gadget? No. Eyes on Jesus. And he's the only one who tells me that I'm okay and that I'm doing the right thing. And if you can get to that point, then you're Superman. Then you can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm not looking left and I'm not looking right. I'm looking eyes in front. I can do all things. Oh, but so-and-so got this. Ah. Oh, but so-and-so's kid this. Ah. Oh, but so-and-so's husband, but so-and-so's spouse, but so-and-so. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the relief 
of not having to please any other expectations other than that of God. That's how we find freedom from OCD and from FOMO. Many people, now I'm done. Many people, many people last week told me, many people told me last week, and you may be one of them that may have said it or may be thinking it. Father Anthony, we needed to hear this message. We struggled with comparison. We needed to hear it. And that's great. That makes me so happy. But now today, I'm challenging you to put your money where your mouth is. Because I even told you last week. Last week, I'm talking theory. I'm talking nice things. I'm saying like, wouldn't it be nice if? Well, now I'm saying put your money where your mouth is. Don't tell me that you need to hear this message. I'm telling you to do something about it. And I give you three things that you can do. Number one is you choose to be grateful every single day. You choose to be thankful, especially in the areas that you are most comparing. Choose to be thankful because you've got a lot of good, but it's not going to be in the social media feed. Choose to be thankful. Number two is cut back on the social media. And if you're a man, woman, strong person, cut it out altogether and see what happens for two weeks. And number three, every day, remind yourself life centered on Jesus. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for everything that you give to us, Lord, because we know that we have so much more than we, than we thank you for and that we remember. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to run our race and not be looking left and right to, and to, to keep our eyes focused on you, Lord, that we can truly say, like St. Paul said, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Help us to be grateful. Help us to cut back on the social media. And most of all, help us to center our life around you. These things we pray in the name of your Son, with the prayers of all of your saints. Here says we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.